This is A Word, a podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. After two years of pandemic restrictions, many Americans are back in the office, in restaurants, and other crowded spaces, often while leaving masks at home. But with infections rising, doctors are warning that although we may be over the COVID crisis, it's not over for us. When your children are going to school and there's no ventilation in that school district and they are bringing that virus back into the home, those are the types of things that lead to black and brown people being more likely to be infected. Bracing for a pandemic surge, coming up on A Word with me, Jason Johnson. Stay with us. Welcome to A Word, a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. Vigilance about COVID has been on the decline for months in the U.S. Millions of Americans are back to work in person and masks have become optional in policy and practice, even in locations with little social distance and a fair number of at-risk people. But President Biden's COVID infection has served as a wake-up call. And in cities like Dallas, San Francisco, and New York, the new BA5 variant is pushing infection rates up again, even as many of the community efforts to fight the virus are disappearing. So is the danger of COVID a thing of the past, or is the U.S. setting itself up to fall prey to another coronavirus spike? And might that leave Black and other marginalized people in trouble? Joining us to talk about is Dr. Ebony Hilton. She's a practicing physician and a frequent medical analyst for MSNBC. Dr. Ebony Hilton, welcome to A Word. It's great to see you, too. You've been sounding the alarm on social media that the country is unprepared for COVID. I follow you online, and you're like, keep your masks on. This is dangerous. What's leading you to that sort of sense of alarm? Is it what you're seeing locally? Is it the data you're seeing nationally? Is it a combination of both? Why have you sort of been banging the drums about this so intensely? I think it's because I actually respect what viruses do historically. It's not just COVID-19. And I think that's the problem is that we fail to learn from history. But what we do know is that viruses cause a list of, of problems within the your bodily functions that's not just solely related to death. When I see people in the hospital for various disease processes, we see that viruses have led to cancers with the viruses that were common back in the 60s and 70s. And now we're seeing those people needing liver transplants, for instance, because their liver no longer works. We've seen viruses historically cause young people to come in and needing heart transplants because it scars the heart and the function of the heart. It's a number of different things that viruses lead to that I was definitely afraid of when it came down to COVID-19 because not only were we seeing high death rates, but we also saw people early on saying, hey, I can't taste or smell anymore. And what does that mean when two of your five senses no longer work in your brain? I want to talk specifically about like how COVID is affecting black folks. Now, I remember in the first year of the pandemic, we saw a huge racial gap when it came to actual death rates. What are we seeing about those racial gaps now? I mean, are we still seeing a sort of gap in deaths and long COVID when it comes to African-Americans? At this point, there's been this kind of change and shifting in the pandemic as far as who's dying. You know, earlier on, the reason why black and brown people were dying at higher rates was when the pandemic hit, everything went into shutdown mode. But the persons that had to actually still go out to work and keep this nation afloat were black and brown people. They were the ones that were working in the restaurants, they were farming the land to get produce into the grocery stores. They were the bus drivers. They were the people that we tasked with helping us not to go into financial collapse. It came down to, if you said there was an outbreak in my job, 
if I had wealth to fall back on, then I could say you can keep that job. I'm not going to go get COVID. But when you are poor and you're living check to check or trying to at least live check to check and you're facing eviction, it calls those persons to still have to go out into a, a dangerous environment. And unfortunately, it costs hundreds of thousands of lives. Now, fast forward to March of 2021, we had 58,000 white Americans die because of behavioral choices. And so at this point, where it used to be that if you were black or brown, you had a six to eight times more likely to die early in the pandemic, that number is now cut down to 1.7 to two times more likely to die. And it's not because black and brown people are dying less. It's because white Americans are dying more. And it is largely kind of um, dichotomy of racial injustice and white privilege showing that both of those have deadly consequence tied to it. Is there anything sort of statistically significant about race and how COVID is affecting people? Or have we gotten to the point where it's primarily about class, primarily about education level, primarily about, you know, pre-existing conditions like hypertension and obesity? Black and brown people are more likely to be infected in the first place. And it literally can be tied down to and looking at systemic racism. If you look at structural racism, the reason why we're more likely to be infected is, again, we're in those public facing jobs. So when you are a waiter or waitress at a restaurant and you are serving 100 people a day, you are increasing your likelihood of encountering COVID-19. When you're then going to these red line districts of the 1930s and 40s where you have overcrowding and an overpopulation of your neighborhood, when your children are going to school and there's no ventilation in that school district and they are bringing that virus back into the home, those are the types of things that lead to black and brown people being more likely to be infected. Why are we more likely to have a more serious complication? Because of the pre-existing conditions. And why do we get pre-existing conditions? Again, systemic racism. We're going to take a short break and we come back more on the status of the COVID crisis. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. This is Jason Johnson, host of A Word, Slate's podcast about race and politics and everything else. I want to take a moment to welcome our new listeners. If you've discovered a word and like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And let us know what you think by writing us at a word at slate.com. Thank you. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about the COVID crisis in the black community with Dr. Ebony Hilton. So there's a lot of people that I know who say, oh, well, I caught COVID and so now I've got this magical 90-day immunity that is going to keep me safe. Is that true? What's our sort of immunity status in our current wave of COVID? What COVID-19 has shown us is that, yes, you can get reinfected. We've seen that time and time again. And particularly when people say that, oh, I got infected and nothing happened or I survived and I'm fine. What people have to realize is that the reason why we're getting these variants that are evading our immune system over and over again at this point is the telephone game. If I tell you something and then you tell your producer the same message, that message will begin to change over time. And it's that slight change in the virus that leads to your body no longer able recognizing it as foreign. And so now it has to relearn how to fight it off all over again. And that's why people are able to get infected in January and then they see themselves infected again in March because it's not triggering the same immune response. And unfortunately, you are setting yourself up with multiple infection to 
having now a pre-existing condition because of the last infection that you just had? And what does that mean with the longevity of your life? Let's talk a little bit about long COVID. What actually is long COVID? How does somebody know if they have long COVID or they're just sort of still in recovery or they just have allergies? We are still learning what actually triggers and causes long COVID, right? Some people get infected with COVID. They present with the typical, I have the runny nose, the fevers and chills, and then their body removes it. And unfortunately, there are other people that their body, once the virus has kind of done its deed, is left with a scar. And that's the best analogy I can give to it. This virus leaves its scarring on certain organs for certain people. And what we're seeing is that it depends on the person. And the targeted population that I really worry about are those children. Because how does a three-year-old or two-year-old tell you that I can't taste or smell? Right now, we're in another COVID surge. You're seeing hospital numbers go back up. You're seeing death rates go back up. You're seeing new variants in different kinds of cities. What can people do now to protect themselves? Is it as simple as masking? Masks should have never stopped in the first place. So when we're thinking about what should people be doing, we should be doing the same exact things that we were doing back in March of 2020. And we've forgotten about that. But it is wearing those N95 masks. It is social distancing. It is practicing those things that kind of increase ventilation and opening up those doors and avoiding those large crowds with the social distancing. Do I think we're going to go back there? No. I've always sort of thought that if COVID was like the Spanish flu, where people were just dying in the streets, right, and blood coming out of their eyeballs, or, you know, last year we joked that, well, if COVID did something visual, right, if COVID left a, a red mark on your head, people would take it much more seriously because it would be something aesthetic they have to deal with. Well, now we've got monkeypox, right? Monkeypox leaves a physical indicator that you got. You can't pretend. People know you got monkeypox. You can't hide from monkeypox. What do we need to know about the sort of monkeypox explosion? And is it possible that monkeypox could actually expand and become just as dangerous or prevalent across the country as COVID? The World Health Organizations, they're holding an emergency meeting surrounding monkeypox and it's now prevalent in places that it typically is not seen we don't typically think of or talk about monkeypox in the united states of america the same with the uk right they don't typically see it and yet the uk was the epicenter we're starting to double our cases in an insanely rapid amount and my question is why i always try to wonder why and it really does make me again turn back to COVID 19 are the two linked no, they're not genetically linked. They're two completely different viruses. But my question is, is the reason why monkeypox is now able to sustain itself in areas that it typically is not seen in cause of the fact that we have now weakened our immune system? Is it that COVID is leading us down a pathway where it's wiping out and making you more vulnerable to these disease processes like the monkeypox? And is that why we're seeing this surge? We don't know. We're going to have to unfortunately see but I don't want people to have to unfortunately see. You don't want to be the number in the statistics of persons that we learn from. And so with monkeypox, we do know that it's primarily transmitted through contact with the sores. But we also know if you're talking to someone, those large sprays potentially can infect you. So wearing a mask, if not for COVID-19, then for monkeypox is also something that you need to kind of consider. We're going to take a short break. We come back more on the fight against COVID and the next pandemic threat. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned.
You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about pandemic planning and threats with Dr. Ebony Hilton. Let's look at some of the what's been happening with, say, breakthrough cases. If somebody catches COVID and they survive COVID, you know, they were vaccinated, but they still got COVID anyway, how long should they wait after having COVID to get their fourth shot? I would say at least two weeks or so before you think about getting that dose. Now, here's the thing. We are simply still learning about this process, right? And unfortunately, the BA4 and 5 really first started circulating within the United States about a month and a half ago, right? Within the next few weeks from that, we had BA2.75. You can have one strain of COVID-19 and your body comes across another different strain of COVID-19 that your immune system may not recognize. Now, the great thing is, is that if you are vaccinated, the vaccine gives your immune system at least a blueprint by which to have some form of antibody circulating that should this virus enter my body, instead of my body having to play catch up, it may take it a while to ramp up, but by day two or three, I'm now in the game to play defense as well, right? So getting that vaccine Mm -hmm. helps you to not end up into my ICU and helps you hopefully to not develop long COVID. I want to understand a little bit more about the B5 variant. I hear about all these different variants, right? You hear Delta, you hear Omicron, you hear the South African UK variant and everything else like that. But what is the B5 variant and how does that differ from Delta? The best analogy I can give you is just a telephone game. You can do the entire alphabet all the way through, right? Um, And that could be what original COVID was. If you switch the order of BCD and you flip it, right? Let's say that flipping, the total sequence is kind of the same, but that flipping has now created Delta. Keep that total sequence now the same and you go to, you know, LMN and you flip that. That's not Omicron. The underlying basic code is still the same, but you have mutations along the ways. And that's what the variants are. It's slight changes. And the reason why you get those slight changes is the virus, just like you and just like humans in general, wants to replicate and have a lineage, right? They want a legacy that they're leaving behind, too. And it really is survival of the fittest. When Darwin talked about that, it meant it across the board for all organisms, And the virus knows if I stay the same between me and you and you and the next person, you and the next person, then your immune system is going to get smart enough to one day be able to kill me. So the only thing that I can do to make sure that I can get to the next phase of life and evolution of myself is I have to be able to change and adapt. And it's not necessarily that smart and that it has a brain that's functioning like that, but that's literally what happens, the way that it can create, you know, and continue this process of evolving. And it's also because it replicates so fast. It's just like anything that you're doing. If you're if you're testing someone really quick, you're bound to make a grammatical error, right? You're you're right. bound to to say something kind of um, inappropriately or put a comma somewhere that it's not supposed to be. It's the same thing with the virus. When it's replicating that fast, it makes copies of itself, and there's going to be one copy that comes along that's going to be slightly wrong. Now, there's interesting studies that are now um, coming out from the NIH that are showing that in regards to long COVID in this investigation of why does long COVID exist and whether or not the virus within the same person when they're doing autopsies, they're looking to see is the virus the same in every single organ system? And what they found is that there is actually when the virus is taken in by a person and some of the persons who have passed away, 
when they did autopsies, particularly of the brain, they found slight mutations in the viral sequence. And so it makes you wonder, can the the virus actually evolve within a person? And that's one of the things that we, you know, we question when people are immunocompromised, when that virus is allowed to circulate and really ramp itself up and not have anything to really fight against it because the immune system is blocked, is it triggering and allowing it to produce these variants at a faster rate that's allowed to spread? And here we are. I want to conclude with this. I always try and say something nominally optimistic, I guess, at the end. But what things that people should be doing now to keep themselves safe from the new COVID surge and from potentially monkeypox? Is it okay to go to indoor events if you double mask it? Wearing those masks, taking those measures to just protect yourself and you can still enjoy the game. You can still enjoy the concert and then staying up on your vaccinations for sure. And then just knowing your audience, if you're at a family function, if I know I'm going on that Friday, then I'm going to test on that Monday, on that Wednesday, and then on that Friday morning to try my best and do my due diligence of making sure that I am being precautious because you can be proactive and not have to be reactive after you get that positive test. Last thing I would say too is remember we do have Paxlovid now. So if you are symptomatic and you have tested positive, Ask your doctor about Paxlovid. What we're trying to do is prevent the up-ramping and the amplification of the virus within your system. Hopefully, that can be one of the factors that lead to a reduced incidence of people developing long COVID. Is Paxlovid better than getting the monoclonal antibody treatment? Is it significantly better? Fortunately, the monoclonal antibodies were developed for the original type. And we're seeing the efficacy is starting to decline to the point with Omicron, we only had one monoclonal that actually worked. So yeah, so having that Paxlovid as another part of our toolkit is going to be really important. Dr. Ebony Hilton is a critical care physician and an anesthesiologist. She's also a regular medical policy analyst for MSNBC. Thank you so much. It was wonderful to finally meet you. Yeah, great to see you. Be safe. And that's a word for this week. The show's email is a word at slate.com. This episode was produced by Christy Taiwo Macanjula. Alicia Montgomery is the vice president of audio at Slate. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week for Word.